You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. This is Chris. This is Sarah. And this is Grace. This is Grace's second episode on the Catholic Psyche. You might remember her from such fan favorites as <laughs> Myths About Marriage Prep. Was that the fourth or fifth? I, I have no idea. Episode. But here I am back. Yeah. She is back. I get to be with both Wojaks. Is that correct? Polish I say people. Wojak. Wojak? But if you want to Americanize Wojak it, like Lojak. We see you. There you go. Hit the Wojak and don't you come back. That's what I always Wait, say. Wait, we were... Oh, no. I <laughs> promised I wouldn't say my last name on the podcast. Dang it. Uh, Do you want to start over? No, it's all right. Because they're in they're in the like liner notes of every every time Deacon Basil uploads them to SoundCloud. So, oh, so they already know your last anyway. name. Yeah, there's um, nothing for it at this point. But um, right. yeah, so Deacon Basil and Cherie are not here today. We uh, we didn't kick them out of the club. It's just that I think they both have better things to do. So <laughs> they'll they'll hear this when it goes live, or or uh, or not. Um, if they decide to put a, the kibosh on it. I listened to the EFT episode that I wasn't a part of. So hey, shows my dedication. Well, EFT is amazing. So it's true. Um, so Sarah, so here's a little bit of context for tonight's episode. Tonight, you're obviously listening to this at the same time we're recording it. So tonight, <laughs> naturally, <laughs> tonight's episode, um, Sarah just finished or is in the process of finishing a, a class on trauma uh-huh. and mental health, which has been um, traumatic, light reading, I'm sure. Oh yes, yeah, only only a few books and a few papers. You have to do like good self care when you read about trauma. I feel like I started running. Nice. Um, this summer anyway, because I'm training for a 5k. Oh, awesome. cool. Um, and that is actually super helpful to get all of that excess psychic yeah. energy out. Very nice. That's great. That's a really awesome. good one. Yeah. But, um, we, we wanted to talk about, specifically, we wanted to talk about trauma in the Bible. Yes. Yeah, that's our topic for today. I think sometimes, you know, people hear... Catholics who who haven't you know been exposed to the whole of the of the scriptures will get snippets you know at mass during the readings and wonder to themselves how how come God's word is full of so many horrific events honestly like I remember I had a friend um, back on the east coast who read the bible for the first time in his 20s and he he said something silly like I didn't know you could have that kind of stuff in the bible <laughs> That's not silly. That's a perfectly rational right. reaction. I mean, a lot of people don't know. Yeah, yeah. The, the Bible doesn't, you know, sanitize or anesthetize human experience. It shows human experience sometimes at its most brutal. Mm-hmm. So we each we we each picked out a couple episodes of instances of trauma in the Bible, and we're going to share them, talk about you know what's traumatic and, and what stands out to us, and then maybe at the end of this we can have like a bigger discussion about trauma generally. Mm-hmm. So. Sarah, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, Esther? Esther! Esther is my favorite book of the Bible. She is one of my favorite characters overall in the entire Bible. Um, Like, I have this old children's Bible that I got when I was itty-bitty, and the... It's just broken at the story of Esther. That's oh, so cool. That's so sweet. It's just... Did it do justice to the story of Esther as a children's Bible? 
It did. Nice. Yeah. Got nice. the essentials in there. Like the essentials, some um, probably not super child-friendly details, which shows great dedication to the editing, so thank you guys. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was, yeah, she's just fabulous and fierce and oh my feminine gosh. all at she's, once. She's amazing. I she want is. to hear about Esther. <laughs> okay, so Esther's trauma. Esther lived during the Persian Empire, during the time of the exile, so this is when uh, the Jewish people had been ravaged and basically kidnapped from their homeland and taken to other parts of the world. Mm. Um, the Persian Empire is what succeeded the Babylonian Empire. So, cool. just for a bit of historical context. I got you. Yeah. Um, so Esther lived not just in the Persian Empire, but in the capital. And guess who else was in the capital? The king and queen. Mm -hmm. And he has a ridiculously long name, Ahasuerus. Artaxerxes is actually um, much easier to pronounce, so that's what I'm going to say. And that's the Greek identification of his name. Perfect. That's great. I, I, I got to warn you, though, I do have some friends that know um, Hebrew and Greek, and... <laughs> I'll, Nerds. <laughs> if they want to, like, make a snarky comment, then this is their one and only chance. You are free to do so. Um, so Artaxerxes got angry at his wife, the Queen Vashti, and he kicked her out. Because she refused to come into his presence when he demanded, because he was being a drunk idiot at a party, showing off for all his friends. So, like a strong, sassy woman... Vashti refused to go in. <laughs> yeah. However, the As consequence was... Yes. Mm. The consequence was that she got kicked out of the palace and was no longer queen. And that's the last we hear of her. Alas. Yeah. I tell you. I would like to know more about her story. Yeah, me too. I mean, we already know she was, like, really cool. Right, And, like, right? had a backbone. <laughs> fanfic. <laughs> fanfiction. Biblical fanfiction. Coming at you. Um, so, anyways. Artaxerxes decided that he was lonely and that having a queen was better than being queenless. <laughs> so he rounded up, he had his minions round up all the beautiful girls in the capital city. And when and we Esther, say round up, we mean, like, kidnap them again. Yeah, literally. She was, like, kidnapped twice, almost. Yeah, it's like you are going to be part of this pageant so the king can find his new queen. And you have no choice. And you have no choice in the matter. King Harvey Weinstein over here in Persia, oh, you know what God. I'm saying? Like, jeez. A little bit. Yeah. Um, so, but fortunately for Esther, she had an incredible amount of feminine charm and beauty. <laughs> and the head uh, servant um, took such a shine to her that he really protected her and cared for her and made sure she was safe and whole and basically put her in the best position to be presented to the king um, and she won the beauty pageant so she was now queen of Persia mm -hmm. now she did not mention during this time that she was a Jew she was yeah. one of the Hebrew people um, and the king's right hand man Haman hated the Jews and was planning basically a genocide um and Esther's uncle Mordecai found out about this and told Esther and said, you are the only one in position who can save us. So imagine that pressure. Really, though? It's like, uh, how, how do I tell the king that his best friend 
wants to kill my family. You know, it's that it's like that old problem with the in-laws writ large. Oh my no. gosh. No, yeah. that's it's just as simple as that, isn't it? That's horrifying. Yeah. Um so Esther requires all of her servants um and to join her to in this uh, period of fasting so that she may gain strength from the Lord to confront the king basically or mm. to announce this to reveal this evil to the king which i think is such a a beautiful lesson on the importance of fasting mm. because that is one of the benefits of fasting like we gain strength by doing hard things nice that's really important it's like so counterintuitive right it just turns everything on its head like normally you'd think oh you need your strength you better eat a lot right you know what i mean yeah. like it's it's like, oh, don't overexert yourself because you're going to be doing something hard later. Mm-hmm. If you don't have practice doing hard things now, how are you going to Preach. know how to do hard things later? <laughs> I love it. Have it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, have you ever heard halt? Yes. Like, like check in mm-hmm. with yourself. Like, you know, I had a counselor once tell me like, oh, like when you're feeling anxious, halt. Are you hungry, <laughs> angry, hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, my first response to him he, he happened to ask me this during lent it's kind of bad timing i was like well i'm kind of perpetually hungry um but i gotta be honest with you or at least that day i was it was friday or something and i was like well you, you, you know i i i feel less anxious on days when i fast so i don't know about that h he probably didn't know what to say to that he had a fairly he had a decent response he said you know in that case you're you're fasting for a higher purpose there's some really? meaning right so it's so like he did get it. meaningful and you know it's actually you know it's it regulates you instead mm-hmm. of dysregulates you so yeah but there you go i think I, that's the distinction between being hungry because you're fasting for mm-hmm. a purpose and being hungry because you forgot to eat again <laughs> yeah and if you forgot to eat again stop the podcast Go get a snack. You will feel better. (laughs) Totally. Everything tastes good, and you're eating well. See what good eating habits can do for you. So Esther was was not necessarily hangry. She was not hangry. She was distraught, and she had all the pressure on her to save her people really because she was the only one in the position who had even the remote chance of access to power so you didn't automatically have the authority or power to talk to the king because no one could go into the king's presence without his express permission Mm. and that is exactly what she did she walked up to the doorway waited till he saw her like even just being there could have earned her a death sentence. Mm. Now, lucky girl, she's beautiful, and we all know boys like pretty things. <laughs> Chris? Well, we could we could definitely have a whole podcast I'm about guilty. that and, like, conventional <laughs> stereotypes, but we won't go into it. All of those things. So, because the king was enchanted with her beauty, he was like, of course, you must come in. You look like you're about to faint. What can I do for you? How can I take care of you? <laughs> um, and... It, her response was, I, I would like to invite the king and Haman to dinner. Um, because that seems like a great idea. Be with the man who definitely has the authority to chop your head off and the man who wants to chop your head off. It's a great recipe for 
girl's got some cojones. <laughs> no kidding. So she does this not just once, but three times. And on the third night, she tells the king that Haman is planning to destroy her people. And she reveals that she herself mm. is a Jew, a member of the nation, and that if the king agrees to Haman's proposal to wipe out the Jews, then that would require him killing her as well. Whew. It's a tough spot to be in. Really? A little bit. Some heavy news. There so how does he take it? He leaves the room because he's so infuriated and doesn't know what to do, leaving Haman alone with Esther. Brilliant. 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 All right. And, like, every time I read this part of the story, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? Yeah, I'm, like, trying, I'm flipping to it right now. Um, every single time. And I've read this literally thousands of times. Amazing. Um, and Haman does not attack Esther, amazingly. But he begs, he, like, throws himself on her lap to okay. beg for boundaries. mercy. First of all, boundaries. Boundaries. But... <laughs> it's like, you just, you were, you were about to kill me, and now you're touching me. Get off. No, really. So, yeah. homegirl's freaking out a little bit. All right, Luckily, but he begs her for mercy. I like that part. Yeah. <laughs> I always like that part. <laughs> um, then the king comes back in and sees Haman on Esther. He perceives it as an attack. And Haman is taken away in Good. chains. Excellent. Yes. So this is an example of where what is already a traumatic situation did not turn into a more traumatic situation. Well, she had some resiliency factors, as they say now, in the business. In That's the biz. popular, like, research topic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, faced with the th annihilation, she... Um, she, uh, she she mobilizes herself. I mean, obviously, this is a woman with tremendous virtue. And, mm -hmm. like, I think this is a good example of, like, you know, tr tr people who have experienced trauma are victims of trauma, but they can also overcome. Like, we all have the ability to overcome. She's a, she's a woman who saves her people from annihilation, right? Mm -hmm. Really cool. Yeah. There's an entire feast now dedicated in her memory. It's called Purim. And I've never celebrated, but from what I've read, it's seven days of sheer partying and rejoicing that they are alive. <laughs> That's so cool. That's I hear lovely. Jerusalem just shuts down oh, for a man. week, which, if I wasn't an introvert, sounds awesome. <laughs> well, it definitely deserves rejoicing yes. and celebrating that. And her courage and everything about that. <laughs> I hope we have some Jewish listeners. That'd be really cool. I That'd think. That'd be awesome. Think. That would be cool. Um, Grace, you have such an intense article. I almost want to save it for closer to the end because there's just so much there. That's fine. Yeah, we can save this for um, the end. And uh, because especially since there's some of the same content in your article that and like in your stories that totally um, that I've picked out. So yeah, you go for it. Um, I want to quickly talk about Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. They were. So, you know, second generation humans, humans. <laughs> you know, if you interpret Genesis literally. Anyway, um, they both offer sacrifices to the Lord and one is pleasing and one isn't. And in his jealousy, Cain kills his brother Abel. Um, the, the most interesting reading I've heard of this story came from a priest who was a... Um, sort of a counselor in, in the Project Rachel program, which is a healing ministry for post-abortive women. It's almost like a 12-step program 
it includes like a lot of elements of narrative therapy and and i attended a training for this and it was really beautiful and he talked a lot about like catharsis and just you know being able to heal from our wounds and he pointed to this one passage when um you know and of course everyone knows this everyone knows the, the famous line when god first confronts cain he says where's your brother what does cain say am i my brother's keeper right Right. And the rest of the Bible is essentially one big, long exposition on an affirmative answer to that question. Yes. Yes, you <laughs> However, are. Yes, you are. However, um, there's an even more interesting line, right? When um, God, God sort of gives him this punishment, which actually doesn't seem that, it actually doesn't seem that bad. What's you know, the punishment again? You, you got to till the ground, <laughs> which like he was already doing, right? Yeah. Um, Cain responds by saying in the, in the RSV, in the Revised Standard Translation, he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And in the Ronald Knox translation, which is like really poetic, he says, guilt like mine is too great to find forgiveness. Oh. And this was this priest's experience. He, he worked both with post-abortive women and with um, combat veterans with PTSD. Oh and wow! So that's a combo. And he 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 died before he could do this. But his dream was to adapt Project Rachel to be a healing ministry, also for combat veterans who have um, who have who who bear personal guilt for having um, for something they've done in war. Wow! So he spoke with a man who said, you know, he he looked someone in the eyes in Vietnam and killed and shot them, and then. You know, um, even though it, you know, it wasn't a civilian, it was a combatant, but he like saw humanity in that person. Mm. And afterwards, he said to the priest, like, my punishment is too great, is greater than I can bear. Uh. So this is like, you know, his well, interpretation was like, when he heard that line, he's like, ah, oh, that sounds familiar. Where, like, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> this is Cain saying, like, I can't take it. Mm -hmm. And um, this is the human conscience. I think sometimes our, our trauma is wound up with our sense of guilt and shame and... Um, and an inability to find forgiveness. Absolutely. That's, that's you know, I was going to talk about Judges 19, but, like, I really don't even want to because it's just too... It's just horrific. It it's is. just too horrific. It I want to hear more about this article, Grace. All right. Well, that's a part of it. But, um, so this article that Chris is referencing, it's um, an article written by Ruth Everhart, and she wrote this for um, something called the Christian Century. In any case, the title of the article is uh, Women of the Bible Say Me Too. Um, so Ruth Everhart's, um, basically her message in this article is she pretty much lays out different stories from the Bible of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And there's several ones, you know, that you may be familiar with. Um, there's the rape of Tamar, the rape of Dinah. Um, the rape that occurs in um, what you were just referencing, that passage. Yep. Um, there's also the rape of Lot's daughters. Um, there's a whole lot that, that goes on. And she lays out those stories, and she uses them as a really great way to talk about um, shame, actually, mm. um, in uh, sexual assault and trauma, and also the power dynamics that played out in these biblical stories and ways that the victims... Um, even if it seemed that justice was being done for them, uh, they really end up still powerless and without a voice. Um, so it's pretty tragic, um, but it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. So the first one that she goes through here is the story of Tamar. And um, Tamar is, um, well, she's a woman who 
is uh, connected to the lineage of David. So um, she's David's daughter, right? Yes, and um, her half brother. Amnon is the heir to the throne. Mm. Um, so they are both descended from David and um, Amnon. He um, has this plot. So he is a twisted man and he um, desires Tamar and he has a plot to um, to rape her essentially. And um, so what he does is he sort of tricks her into coming to his um, bedchambers. He tells her that he's sick. He needs, you know, someone to um, make a meal for him. Uh, so she comes to his chamber. And the really interesting thing about Tamar's story is that before this rape occurs, she actually has um, a line, like she says something oh, okay. in the Bible that's quoted, which wow. is lovely. Um, it's one little tiny step forward for uh, women having yeah. a voice, right? Yeah. Obviously, the story doesn't, you know, end in her having a voice, but at least there's this one line. Um, and so when eventually when, you know, she comes to his chamber and he tells her uh, what his motives are when he really attempts to force himself on her, Tamar says, quote, no, my brother, do not force me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do anything so vile. As for me, where could I carry my shame? End mm. quote. So this is a really powerful one, and the author of this article does a great job of drawing out those themes of shame, and really she kind of asks, what has Tamar done that's so shameful, right? right. I mean, she was right. tricked into coming to his bedchamber in the first place. She obviously is not on board, you know, she's, she's trying to resist his advances, mm -hmm. and yet she is anticipating that she would be ashamed, Right. It's a common experience of survivors of rape, sexual abuse, sexual assault is uh, internalized guilt and and internal and in, internalized and externalized shame. Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, cultural norms can reinforce that certainly, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, think of think of even the, like on one interpretation of of Saint Joseph's actions. You know, his uh, on this interpretation, ostensibly his shame at at the discovery that Mary was pregnant, you know what I mean? Like, what what mm. do the neighbors think? Kind yeah, of thing. actually, though. And then there's also the internalized guilt that some, you know, victims can have, right? Like, what did I do to deserve this? I think we talked a little bit about this in the last episode mm -hmm. about sin. You know, people dealing with chronic illness who have this, you know, theo vindictive theology. They see a vindictive God might be asking themselves, what have I done to merit, th to deserve this? Mm, right. It's like, what did I do what did I not do? Is there something I could have said or done or worn or not worn? Oh uh, gosh! Which is like and that I mean, there all like I'll have to pause for a second the story of Tamar because it's a great jumping off point to talk about victim shaming, mm. which is a phenomenon that hopefully we're all familiar with, um, where um, it's something that's very widespread, unfortunately often in Christian circles uh, mm -hmm. where women or other people um, are sexually assaulted and then. Um, 
Well, she shouldn't have worn that skirt, you know, if you had just dressed modestly. Well, that... Like a good girl. Exactly. Which drives me insane. Exactly. That is what Sarah just... That's a great example of some of the things that yeah. people will say um, as a way of placing the blame for the sexual assault, for the rape, uh, squarely on the shoulders of the woman who was the victim, which makes absolutely zero sense. Yeah. Um, victim yeah. means the one... Who the bad thing was done to, not the one who did the bad thing. Exactly, exactly, and Just also to our terms. it like it, it sort of presupposes that men are like entitled to rape a woman if she's not or dressed, can't help it. or can't help it if she's not dressed quote modestly end quote. So there's all of that going on, which is really just deplorable and also needs to be talked about so much. That phrase, well, he just couldn't help himself. If men have that little self control, then why do we have so many men? quote in positions of power <laughs> yeah that's a great question can we just, can we just pause oh man you and preach about this is gonna get a kick out of this episode that is a great question yeah well and you know um so we talked a little bit about like m moral theology there was a lot I could have said but didn't in the sin episode that now I'm kicking myself because St. Thomas has so many more insights <laughs> than I than just than just the ones I mentioned. But one one is this role of habit. Like we were talking about this off mic. Mm -hmm. Like um who was the who was that guy who um Brock Turner, that rapist who like yes. got off with oh my goodness. such a light sentence. And what was it Brock Turner where it was like his father or someone was like, he shouldn't have to suffer a lifetime of punishment for like one you know, mistake, 10 minute, 15 minutes of, you know, whatever. Oh my fun, gosh. I even think he said, I, yeah, even think he fun? Said. I don't know. It was something Are like you it was either me? his father or his lawyer who said that. Like, That's disgusting. Like egregious beyond bounds. But, but, um, that's exactly what we're missing. No one... No one who isn't morally evil, uh, who hasn't cultivated moral evil or been, you know, e exposed and influenced by societal moral evils can can drink a couple beers and then just like accidentally do something like Brock Turner did. Like, you don't accidentally rape a woman. Right. Like, he, Thank you. He, he, Behind he, a dumpster. Even if that was the first oh, time God. he ever That's... he ever raped someone, he'd, he, he's been cultivating evil, evil thoughts, evil habits. He's, he's, he's neglected to cultivate virtue, you know, any kind of common decency, respect, self-control, courage, anything. And, and it's like, we, we don't have moral acts in isolation, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. like what we do is a product of how we generally behave. And so either we cultivate habits of virtue or we cultivate habits of vice. And it's just like a sheer accident. The real accident is that he didn't do it sooner. There you yeah. go. Right. Yeah, that's really powerful Ugh. and really true. And it goes a long way towards not just justifying and, you know, making excuses for rapists and mm -hmm. for people who do these things, mm -hmm. which is often what happens. You know, aside from the victim shaming, there's also all of these excuses being made. Defense of the perpetrator. Defense yeah. of the perpetrator. There's doubt that's cast on the victim's story in the first place. Yeah, very, very, very few... Um, statistically very few um women who report um allegations of sexual assault or rape are, are lying absolutely just, for one thing um, victims have very little to gain 
most of the time, especially if the statute of limitations has elapsed and, and, and the fact that they anticipate that they'll be doubted and that, uh, and shamed. And it's like, really like a very courageous action. And so you, you know, what, what motivation <laughs> would you possibly have? Honestly, it's, it's a very courageous thing to do when you consider how really the deck is stacked against you right. as a victim, as a woman in mm -hmm. the judicial system. So that's a whole yeah. big thing. And you got to think, you know, um, the women who do report are in the minority. How many more women have oh, sure. been raped and assaulted and don't end up reporting for one reason or another. Right. I think the statistic right now is one in three women have been sexually assaulted. Exactly. And that's that's the statistic, the statistic that we know, that we have available. That's what I'm saying. And it's, it's probably so more rampant. likely, you know, 2.5 out of three women have well, been sexually assaulted. Honestly. This is the Me Too thing, right? Honestly, it's like, yeah. It's like, finally, now we're acknowledging that, like, we've, like... This is a problem. Right, right. We need to address it. So... So, too, with Tamar. Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so what happens, you know, obviously her half-brother Amnon um, does continue and he completes the assault. Um, Tamar is essentially powerless in the situation. Um, and then afterwards, uh, what happens is that she goes to her full brother, Absalom, uh, excuse me, Absalom, who... Um, is also sort of vying for the throne mm -hmm. as he's as an heir of David. One so of the contenders. He's a contender um, over and against her rapist, Amnon. Um, so his response is very telling. He says, quote, Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. End quote. So... Are you kidding me thank you thank you Man. that i mean i don't even know do not take this to heart <laughs> where where is she supposed to take it honestly honestly the author of this article has a nice commentary on this she says these are empty words spoken to soothe himself rather than his sister yeah what he is saying is that he cannot bear to hear her lamentation you know, I think one of the reasons why many people, men in particular, disbelieve women mm -hmm. who report rape and uh, other, um, you know, acts of sexual violence is that it would require us to acknowledge the evil within ourselves. And for the most part, people are resistant to that. I mean, even in psychoanalysis, there's like really interesting theories about the way we rationalize away our the evil parts of our psyche. Mm -hmm. And like... Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, for, for example, child, child abuse, in particular, child sexual abuse was not acknowledged for, for so many years because it's hard to come to terms with the fact that something so awful is happening in our society and that we're in some way a part of it. And we've at least neglected to prevent it. And so, too, with, with, with the rape of Tamar, it's like that, that cowardice manifests as like an inability to see reality in front of you. Absolutely. It's absolute denial functioning there with her brother. He just, he can't see it. He can't, you know, fully understand maybe, or even just acknowledge what has happened to her. So he kind of like shoves her off to the side. Don't take it to heart. You know, like, don't no, no, worry no. about it. And then what he continues to do after this is um, essentially to craft this revenge plot against Amnon. And um, as we know already, he is a contender for the throne, and this happens to really conveniently 
align with his political motives. Mm. So essentially what we see here is this man taking advantage of his sister's uh, trauma and using it to further his own political ends and using it essentially as ammunition um, to get himself onto the throne. Um, so there, there we get less the psychology of the person traumatized and more we get the psychology of the, of the abusers. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I just want to close out this story with um, a quote, again, from the author of this article. And she says, This is what patriarchy looks like in action, when women have no good options despite their best efforts. This is what rape victims face, being powerless in the face of power, being silenced no matter how eloquently they may speak, and being covered with contempt that is not deserved. We're definitely going to link this article in the show notes. Yes, yeah, so you can read more. Definitely. But that is just such a beautiful phrase. Like, it's so hard, Mm -hmm. but it's so, that was so well spoken. Absolutely. So true. Yeah, what a good article. So needed. Yes, absolutely. Really important, important conversation. It is. And that's Mm -hmm. one of our main objectives here, I think, in, in talking about trauma and specifically, you know, sexual trauma in this story is that uh, these things need to be talked about and they need to be talked about in Christian circles mm-hmm. uh, more than they are and they need to be talked about differently. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing. And like in God's wisdom, he gave us like, OK, so, you know, there's there's nothing quite like the Bible, but there, <laughs> there are other traditions with sacred texts. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, Grace and I, sometimes we have the is this going to like be offensive? I hope not. We have this like fun get to know you question. <laughs> Sarah's shaking her head. She's like, don't, don't say it. You're going to put your foot in your mouth. When we hang out with Catholics, we ask like, if you weren't Catholic, what's, what would your spiritual or religious tradition be? If you could pick Ooh, anything. You've, ever, you've never asked me this. Well, what would it be? Um, anything in the world, even like quote religions that are now defunct, like that no one practices anymore. Like Zoroastrianism Yeah, or totally. I think there's still Zoroastrians. But yeah, you, that's, that's on the table. And, and you would score points. And it's very possible that the wise that. men in the nativity story were Zoroastrians. That's not that, really yeah, that, they claim that. They, the Do Zoroastrians they? claim that the wise men were part of uh, their tradition. I didn't even know that. Why? It's my pet theory that I love. I love that. It's one of the... It's one of the um, like most ancient churches in the Holy Land, but it has an image of the wise men. That's so, so cool. when Very nice. they That's went so through, cool. the Persians were going through, um, and like destroying ancient Christendom. They did not destroy that church because it had their their men on it, basically. Wow. Wait, who didn't destroy it? The Zoroastrians. Oh, amazing! So, yeah. Well, uh, that's so cool. I'm. Um, that's yeah, really well, cool that's learn. really, really neat. So what would your answer be? To Zoroastrianism question? is up there because I do love the stars. It's an old monotheistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Zarathustra. I've always been a stargazer. Nice. Um, I really like some aspects of Lakota spirituality that I've read. That's so cool. Oh, wow. Both of your answers yeah. are, like, You should solid. say more about that. We should do... That should be a different we'll podcast. Do, we'll do one. We'll okay. do one. Yeah, right. And we'll get, like, guests who know what they're talking about, too. Yeah, um, I'm intrigued. That's really cool. Um, so I, my jam is, yeah. is, uh, is Hinduism, which, you mm-hmm. know, refers to a lot of many different traditions because it's, like, a Western term, but imposed on, like, you know, different things that we... Western people don't understand, but uh, like in, in, in the Hindu in the Hindu tradition, you have the Vedas and the Upanishads and uh, and the you know the the epic poems, mm-hmm. and um, 
And like in a lot of different texts from different religious traditions, you have, you know, say you have wise sayings, mm -hmm. you have um, myths about how the world was formed. You have prophecies about how the world will be, but um, how the world will end, how the world will end. Sure. Ragnarok. Yeah, man, I'm getting jazzed about that future episode. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's quite rare to find such explicit and detailed descriptions of rape, violence, abuse, trauma, neglect, mm -hmm. like the, these human experiences, like God wanted us to have these conversations. Yes, you know? absolutely. And so the fact that we aren't having them is an even greater blight on the Christian church. Yes. They're in our sacred scriptures. Yes. We should be talking about these more. Like these are difficult passages, but you know what else is difficult? Life. Yeah. Life is hard. Absolutely. Speaking of life is hard, <laughs> I have a New Testament example of trauma. These have all been Old Testament so far. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, and um, Bring I us something new. I want to talk about um, St. Paul, who, who had his own share of trauma and, um, and used it for good, just like Esther. Yeah, nice. So this is what St. Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11. This is a litany of traumas. You ready for this, guys? Let's hear it. It says, I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers... Dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. And then he talks, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Hmm. So. He, he's been through a few, a few <laughs> crappy situations, I'll sounds say, like. Sounds like uh, that could produce PTSD. I'll, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really interesting if Paul actually had, like, diagnosable PTSD. That would be, well, that would be a really interesting um, study. Study, psychological study of historical figures in general of mm -hmm. these holy men and women. Yeah. Um, like what specifically they attribute their PTSD to, how they manage, like what, how that factors into their holiness. Yeah. Like, can mm. you be holy with PTSD? Apparently, <laughs> of probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. PTSD being post-traumatic stress disorder, and I don't have a DSM within arm's reach, so we can't do that fun. <laughs> DSM being. Well, the listeners already know, because if anyone's listening to this episode, then it, they definitely listen to episode three, which is on depression. Right, the Diagnostic um... and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. <laughs> the Bible of crazy. The Bible, yeah, <laughs> As I like to refer to it. Bible. Wow. So yeah, lots of trauma in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Today. And, uh, and there's healing from trauma. Yes. Mm -hmm. And also, like, Grace, that article, what, what I'm left with is this sense that we ought to be, we ought to be talking about trauma and, you know, stand up to 
a society that enables the perpetuation of of traumatic behavior of trauma inducing behavior like sexual abuse rape absolutely isn't there a part at the end of the article where they contrast the the, the treatment of women like tamar and dinah to the way jesus responds oh, oh yes, sure. yes yes go to that yeah so this is a really beautiful article and you guys should definitely read it um, we'll have it posted in the resources here. Totes. Um, so yes, she does. She takes a few different stories of Jesus relating to women in the Gospels. A lot of them are healing stories and miracles. One in particular I would like to go over here. Uh, she terms it, Jesus heals two daughters, uh, which is very sweet. So um, it's kind of the intertwining of two different stories. Uh, the first one is a 12-year-old girl. Um, she's known in this story as the daughter of Jairus, who is a leader in the synagogue uh, at the time. Um, and so what happens here in the context is that Jairus comes to Jesus and asks him to come see his daughter who is dying. Um, and on his way there, he encount Jesus encounters another woman, um, an older woman. Uh, we're told that she has had a condition of hemorrhaging for the last 12 years, which is basically uncontrollable bleeding. The story tells us that she has basically spent all of her resources on doctors and nothing has worked and essentially she's dying and she's totally uh, spent yeah. physically, emotionally, financially. Mm -hmm. um, so she's really at the end of her rope here. And so when she uh, comes to Jesus, what she does is she reaches out and she touches his robes. And she does this with an immense faith, um, thinking to herself, if I at least touch this holy man's robes, I will be healed. Mm. Um, so she has this beautiful faith. And, and actually, speaking of giving women a voice in the scripture, um, the author comments that this shows her exemplary courage and also her faith that this bleeding woman is given something very rare in scripture, a line of internal dialogue. Whoa. <laughs> so not only does this woman have a voice, she has an internal voice. She has her own internal motives, um, which again is very, can be very much glossed over in a patriarchal society. Um, in any case, so she reaches out and touches him um, and Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And then the commentary again from this article. This unnamed bleeding woman, someone who had no one and nothing, is named as kin by Jesus. So a beautiful resolution to that story. And it, it goes without saying that this woman was an outcast in her society. I love that mm -hmm. being made kin. I mean, we, 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 you know, in my work, we talk a lot about the healing power of relationships and mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know? Connections are healthy, good Whole connections heal us. Yeah. They bring us back to ourselves. Definitely. And um, can I springboard a little bit off of this? Please, please do. So um, the Greek word that Jesus uses for daughter is actually the same word that Jairus uses to describe his daughter. Nice. And it is a term of endearment mm. that means basically this is my most precious, oh. beloved this is my heart of hearts. Uh, it is wow. not just, this is my kid. It's like, this is my kid. daughter. This is my everything. This is the apple of my eye, the gem of my heart. It is, it's that yeah. big and that powerful and that endearing. And that's the word that Jesus uses for this woman. 
this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, the mm. same amount of time that Jairus's daughter has been alive. Oh, thank you. Yes, 12-year-old daughter. 12-year-old daughter. That's so yes. Cool. <laughs> 12 years of bleeding. Mm-hmm. 12 years of not being allowed into the temple to worship because mm-hmm. blood is unclean. Mm-hmm. 12 years of searching for answers. Why is this happening to me? What did I do? Like, how can I fix this? You know mm-hmm. who didn't get that? Like, Dinah. And yes. Tamar and Lot's daughters mm-hmm. and the unnamed concubine in Judges 19. And yeah, Chris is referencing a lot of women who were raped in the Old Testament, and we is, hear their stories. This is our duty, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, if the listeners want to take something away that's practical, offer that, like, communal relational support. Extend yourself as, as though you were kin nice. to someone who has who is suffering or has Very suffered. Nice. Very nice. Very yes. nice. Great. So, yeah. So on that note, I'm just going to finish out the story of Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. Um, so while Jesus has stopped on the road to heal this woman with great faith, um, Jairus' daughter does pass away. She dies. Um, and he gets to the home after her death. Um and he he raises her from the dead. It's a miracle. Um, and his his advice to the parents and the grieving and bewildered family who really almost can't believe it that she's come back to life. The author of this article says these are some of the most touching words in all of scripture. Mm-hmm. Jesus, quote, told them to give her something to eat, end quote. <laughs> Which maybe can catch you off guard, but the sheer practicality of it and the sheer humanity of it, I think, is what is so touching. Well, you know, we're all about mind body over at the mm-hmm. over at the in the Chris Thomism Club. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you know, giving meeting someone's physical and human needs, such as connection or food or resources in the midst of, you know, perhaps leaving a traumatic or abusive relationship. I mean, those are Christian, Mm -hmm. Christian actions. Yes. Um, But in any case, the, the author just closes this out by saying, perhaps Jesus saw the shock of the parents and wanted to remind them that the daughter had just traveled through the portals of death and back and she was probably hungry. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that takes a lot of energy. <laughs> Honestly. She says, <laughs> really. She says, this text is a powerful antidote to misogyny. In Jesus' eyes, women are not less valuable than men. Hmm. Preach! Oh, really? Oh, All preach. right. So this, ends up, this ended up being like the Me Too episode. This is a little cool. bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Which... All right. I love it. But Thanks. I think that's good. All right, guys. Bye.